everybody. It's Danny in post editing the episode right now as we speak. I uh, just wanted to give you guys a little primer. Uh, we were actually lucky enough to have Howard Bloom, who recently wrote an article for the New York Times uh, regarding the subject of this episode. Um, that piece is actually called How One Man Conned the Beltway, uh, the Billion Dollar Black Budget Demands Secrecy. Uh, that made it its perfect target. It's an opinion piece in the New York Times. We would highly recommend that you check it out. Um, you can do it before listening to the episode, after. I personally would listen to it before just because I think it'll make things make a lot more sense. But uh, for those who just want a, a TLDR, this is basically an article about how one guy basically tricked a lot of high-level security operators uh, in the U.S. government into thinking that he was part of the CIA and that, you know, his services and his firm and what have you uh, were real and not just a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> so uh, it's a really fascinating article. Again, uh, it's called it's by Howard Bloom, and that's who we're talking to today. And we'd highly recommend that you check that out. Uh, very, very fantastic article. Anyway, here's the episode. Welcome everyone to Ponzi Scream. Uh, today we have a very special guest with us. We have Howard Bloom. He uh, is an author, a journalist. Uh, his most recent book is uh, called Night of the Assassins. And but we are actually talking uh, about an article that he wrote in the New York Times recently uh, called How One Man Conned the Beltway. Howard, how are you? Good. Nice to speak with you. How One Man Conned the Beltway, the Billion Dollar Black Budget uh, Demands Secrecy, that made it a perfect target. Um, you know, when we first read this story, I don't know if you've seen, if you're a film person, but uh, we thought of the movie Burn After Reading. Have you seen right. that movie? Yes, I also thought of American Hustle. Uh, the, the, yeah. you know, the, <laughs> you know, con men are, uh, are rich fodder for films. <laughs> totally, totally, totally. Uh, amazing. So there's a lot of really amazing moving parts going on in this. I, I really, really liked it. Uh, just to kind of give us a quick overview of what happened. There are two main characters in this. There is uh, this man named Garrison Courtney, correct? That's and, correct. And then there's another one named Virgil Keith. Yes. And, I mean, they both sound like, you know, kind of, I'm just really amazing, you know, kind of Hollywood names. And they were the con men, or, or arguably just Garrison Courtney was the con person in this whole operation of pretending to be a classified intelligence officer in order to get contracts from all these military contractors. Yes. Garrison Courtney, his background was... He was in the DEA as the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Agency, as their spokesman. Before that, he had spokesman. His, he was a yes. spokesman. Okay. Spokesman, yes. Uh, before that, he had a stint on TMZ as a cool. segment producer. <laughs> to to qualifications. He was a weatherman on a CBS station. Oh my God! <laughs> he did a little bit. He was with Kathleen Harris. Uh, he was her uh, press person for about three months. But basically, he saw that there was a real opportunity out there, and he went out to grab it. The opportunity was there's a black budget 
each year, $85 billion, that's with a B, which is a lot of money, is given away to a whole group of firms that surround the Beltway. These firms are with patriots, some inventive geniuses who are working out ways to, to help the spy game with technology. And they're after these government contracts, this treasure trove of money out there. And they all do different things to try to get it. The thing which many of them do is there's a revolving door from people working for government agencies that then go to work in the private sector. Uh, they, get, they take their pensions and they get large sums from these companies to help them get these contracts. You know, a $500 million contract is nothing. It's a drop in the bucket. But, you know, 500 million here, 500 million there, it adds up. Uh, and what Garrison Courtney realized, if he could project the image that he was helping these companies to get these contracts without bidding, this is, you know, sole source contracts. That means you don't have to go through the bidding process. Uh, he could get a large percentage of the money. And the way he did this is by claiming to be a CIA officer. You know, this was such an interesting article, um, you know, first hearing about it, because um, the first thing that popped into my head actually was actually just Donald Rumsfeld. And this kind of like going back to the early 2000s in how uh, a lot of military contracts and like uh, various uh, government uh, contracts kind of got pushed more into the private sector and the it was just so interesting to me to think like wow like we have all of these you know this huge treasure trove of, of money essentially in contracts that you're talking about and how instead of sort of being a uh a product of directly like you know the u.s government or the defense department or you know cia or something like that it's instead just sort of getting funneled into like these contractors or subcontractors or sub subcontractors. And it really just made me think like, how likely is this, would this have happened like 20 years ago or even 10 years ago for that matter, you know? Well, it, it would have, the stakes are, are, are just higher. I mean, it was Eisenhower who warned about the military industrial complex. Right. And that's what these mm -hmm. companies are. They are working as part as a substructure of the government to take technology uh, and advance it into military and classified realms. Uh, mm -hmm. What makes this area so rich, so tantalizing for a con man, is it's a world of secrets. You can't expose by law what these contracts are necessarily about. Yeah. It's a time to Amazing. talk about them. So if you can talk about nod and a wink and an inside uh, player, you can get away with it. But what made Garrison Courtney and Virgil Keith, these two men that we talked about, that people in the operation called them the twins, was the access that they had. It was unprecedented. Mm -hmm. Now, it could seem like a con. They were able to go into skiffs. skiffs. That's rooms that are protected from being eavesdropped that are in secure government uh, facilities. They were able to get Justice Department lawyers to appear to reinforce what they were saying. They were able to get the CIA <laughs> to send a representative to their meetings. They got two-star generals uh, to monitor what they were doing. They had meetings that took place in the NGA. That's the National Geospatial uh, Agency, which does all our 
plotting when we're going to try to catch bin Laden. That's the eyes in the sky that plan that sort of thing. Oh it's the largest, second largest government facility in the world next to the Pentagon, surrounded by armed guards, barbed wire fences. These guys could wolf right in. They go up to the security desk. They get a green pass, wear it around their neck. A green pass means you're cleared for the world. How did they do this? Who in the government let, let them accomplish this? And the people they were working with in private industry were past government officials, very respected men. Why were they so easily conned? Uh, why were people who had <laughs> medals uh, for protecting this agent, for protecting this country, for keeping the Republic safe, for guarding our secrets, conned by these two hucksters? Uh, one answer, perhaps, or one theory, perhaps, might be greed. <laughs> when someone's <laughs> opportunity to make a ton of money, well, you don't look at things so carefully. Also, the cold culture, this sort of trench-coated secret culture, uh, that you're willing to believe that you're an insider, uh, the romance of espionage, the romance of being on the inside of what's really happening in the world, you don't really want to talk about to outsiders what's going on. So if they accepted Courtney and Keith as members of the club, they were able to work with them and a chance to get all these contracts. Mm. And they were able to deliver on some levels. Many of the contracts they sent from the Army, uh, from the Defense Intelligence Agency, from the CIA were frauds. But they also were able to get legitimate government contracts. There's something called a GWACs. These are government-wide acquisition contracts, and they're, they're set up by the government to prevent uh, wasting time, the tedious process of bidding. They, they set the terms. They were able to get these GWACs delivered to the people they work with, who were paying them $10,000 a month, giving them office space, giving them facilities and expense accounts, and perhaps bonuses. They were able to get GWACs delivered to them without out, out bidding, and these were paid for by you're in my tax dollars, not the president's, because he didn't get caught up in that because he wasn't paying taxes. Pay <laughs> no. taxes right. challenging the money uh, through these scams. How common is the business model of of their, you know, Alpha Two Fourteen? That's the name of uh, Courtney's, uh, you know, con. How, well, how, this this business model of you know assisting one government agency, the CIA. Uh, for future contracts, uh, perhaps with another, within you know this sort of uh, uh, getting getting in contracts without effect, effective competition, is that is that pretty ubiquitous? It, it it is. These classified action programs, that's what they're called, uh, are pervasive throughout government. Uh, there was a study by an independent uh, task force that said fifty three percent of all government intelligence black budget contracts are awarded without bidding. There's no competitive bidding. These are sole source contracts. So no one looks at it, it's passed on. 53% of $85 billion, well, you do the math. That's, I mean, that's just asking for trouble. It, it is very much so. Uh, and then you throw over it that you can't really look into this because it's top secret, because it's protecting the Republic, uh, national security, well, national security is a term as broad as the Republic is meant to protect 
and the details are just hidden from probing eyes. It's like a fraternity, the old fraternity brothers, people who had key positions in the military, the Air Force, uh, Navy, in intelligence jobs, were now working with Courtney and Keith to deliver these contracts. It was the old boy network, the old spy network, really. So one thing that this makes me think about is when when we uh, when banks are brought up as sort of falling under corruption, um, it's hard to prosecute them because they're too big to fail. And with something like this, it, it seems like the uh, the graft would be would be such an embarrassment to uh, <laughs> high ranking officials that they're going to let something they're going to turn a blind eye because they wouldn't well, want their you, you raise a, a very good point. Here was this complicated scheme that involved at least 14 companies, uh, a, a dozen government officials, and one man, just one man, Garrison Courtney, <laughs> uh, was indicted and, and pled guilty to this. And uh, why is that? Because... Wait. There are people in the government who want to keep secret uh, where yeah. this might lead. It, it's quite embarrassing. You know, you're going to have top secret video conferences with a general, uh, B.J. Shueto, who is now at this point in, in the Pentagon. He advises, he's a three-star general, he advises the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff on a Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he got basically conned. He's listening to reports from Garrison Courtney, and Virgil Keith. General Suedo, through a statement that he made to the Times through an Air Force spokesperson, said he wasn't conned by them. He only listened once. Uh, <laughs> oh, 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 wow. It was silly. <laughs> who have worked with him, and people said there were several meetings uh, where he was on secu uh, secure video teleconferencing with these men, and one of his uh, colonels, who was also lured into this plot, went down to where he was based in Texas, San Antonio, and made uh, oral reports to him. So, uh, and, and you said it was one man who conned all of them. And I'd like to add to that. Uh, one, uh, one high school drama kid slash former weatherman conned yeah. all of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, so. and he got away with it. And, and it was <laughs> interesting, the government investigation went on for close to five years. They had a half dozen government agencies. Yeah, I saw that, insane, so many, <laughs> so many. Into it. The FBI, the CIA, uh, Naval Intelligence, the Defense Intelligence Agencies, plus four very intelligent. Uh, the, de the Department of Health and Human, I'm sorry, the Department of Health and Human Services? Yes. What does Obamacare have to do with this? The Department of Health and Human Services is also involved in giving out the GWACs, which are these government-wide uh, uh, acquisition contracts. Mm -hmm. There's $90 billion a year spent on in uh, technology, both secure stuff, computer Zoom links, and, and then high-tech stuff, spy stuff. And that's $90 billion, and that goes through uh, the NIH. And that's what these men, uh, Courtney and Keith, were trying to grab. Garrison Courtney was able to finagle his getting an office in the NITAC office of NIH, where he was able to sit there, a fox in the chicken coop, and watch all this happening and get the insider information that he could pass on to keep his con going. And what's also interesting is when one person raises 
a cry that maybe this isn't kosher, maybe there's something phony going on. There was one uh, computer scientist, a doctor, yeah. Nia, and yeah. he, he had been worked before doing top secret stuff uh, for the CIA, the FBI, technology matters, and he begins to think, this doesn't smell right. And uh, he feels that these guys are government, he, as he was told, CIA officers, uh, GS-14s are getting their salary, but they're also picking up $10,000 a month from a, a dozen or so companies. And that, he, he said, you know, what do your bosses think of that? Uh, he wrote this email. Well, their bosses didn't think anything about that because they had no bosses. There were no, no one they had to answer to. Yeah. Well, then they try to deal with this problem of uh, this one computer scientist who's raising the issue. So the first thing they do is they start send, spreading rumors, and this is a, according to the government sentencing, not sentencing document, charging document, statement of facts. Right. They, he's an Iranian spy. Oh, uh, my God. Besmirch him like that. And that's not quite doing the job. Virgil Keith is sent over to talk with him. Virgil Keith shows up, and he's talking rather aggressively, being a tough guy. And he's a big man. He's, he's broad and big, hefty. He looks like a linebacker. Uh, and he's carrying a gun on his hip. He told me he always carries a gun, so he didn't mean to intimidate. Uh, <laughs> oh, this oh. Scientist. But he, he conceded perhaps that uh, the man was a little agitated. Then after this happens, a meeting is called with all the principals at the National Geospatial uh, Intelligence Agency, and a Justice Department lawyer shows up. This lawyer reads the riot act. She says it is a crime under federal law to reveal the identities of any operative, operating CIA officers. She's saying that Virgil Keith and Courtney, Garrison Courtney, were CIA officers, and the man responsible for revealing their identities in this email that was sent raising questions will be held accountable for this. Well, of course, he was never charged with anything because Courtney and Keith were not CIA officers. But how was Garrison Courtney able to get a Justice Department lawyer to appear at the NGA and castigate uh, this man? That is still one of the questions that has not been answered. And of course, no charges were ever filed against this Justice Department lawyer. No charges were filed against anyone but <laughs> Garrison Courtney. <laughs> Garrison Courtney is being sentenced on October 23rd. Uh, when that happens, uh, there might be some follow-ups, but we shall see. That's, that's amazing. So I want to talk a little bit about some of the more of the access that he got. Can you walk us through the story as to how he got access to the, what are called skiffs and how that became kind of, from what I understand from the story, be kind of the basis of his operation? Yes. A skiff is basically a, a glassed enclosed soundproof room where foreign intelligence agencies can't eavesdrop on you. There's one good for podcast. It's good for podcasting too. This sounds like it, this is the cone of silence out of Get Smart. Yeah. That is the level of technology we're at with this. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, it, it, there's one in Congress, there's in the Pentagon. They have government contractors who do business with the intelligence agencies 
and the military have skiffs in their building. There was one in a place called Riverside, uh, Riverside, which is a nonprofit agency, uh, which has a, a billion dollar annual budget, nevertheless. A, a lot of <laughs> uh, work for the government. And they would, he got a job with Riverside that he would help bring them contracts. Uh, he would help them get government contracts. And in doing this, he had an office, he got Virgil Keith hired too, and he had access to the skiff. Then he's able to take this one government access job to the skiff and go to the NGA, the National Geospatial Agency. As I said, that's the second largest government facility in the world next to the Pentagon. The whole place is an armed camp, uh, guards everywhere. And there's a whole fortress facility is considered a skiff. And he was able to have his meetings there too. Now this is pretty good theater. When you're trying to do a con and you're able to take people into these uh, skiffs, it's pretty effective. It's more effective yeah. than a podcast from your basement. You're thinking, oh, <laughs> yeah. a really high tech uh, job going here. And these people are who they say they are. Who else but a, a reputable CIA officer could have access to, to a skiff. And they were able to then recruit from these companies who were looking to get contracts, former government intelligence officers. For example, Admiral Norman Hayes, an honorable man, an honorable career. He meets Virgil Keith in a restaurant. Virgil Keith says they should get together. Keith then introduces him to Courtney, and Courtney says, we're going to be able to deliver uh, contracts to your company. You will form a consortium. And what we get out of it, he says, is we get $10,000 a month salary uh, from the companies. And everyone thinks it's a good idea because when there are hundreds of millions and perhaps billions at stake over multi-year contracts, what's $10,000 a month? And these guys are picking it up from uh, 1.14 different companies. <laughs> uh, Howard, what this reminds me of is uh, a, con a con man you can't con an honest person. You have like a con man is looking for a mark that is in some way thinking that they're also conning. And they're, uh, the culture around this revolving door between government agencies and, and being a private contractor, there, is there something about the mentality of government agents being like, are, are people, you work for the government, you do your time, you get your pension, and then you're like, oh, now it's time to get cream on cream. Like, let's double dip and become contractors. You're exactly right. In, in my Times article, I talk about Victor Cherkaskin. Victor Cherkaskin was a KGB handler. Well, who he handled was Aldrich James, uh, the spy in the CIA. And he wrote that a good spy doesn't really so much as recruit people as he goes out and looks for people who want to be recruited. And I would suggest that many of the people who were conned by Garrison Courtney were looking uh, to be. <laughs> are you blaming the victim? Are you blaming the victim, Howard? <laughs> <laughs> they were, yes, they were ripe for the plucking. Uh, they, they thought, well, if I can cut some corners and get contracts sent my way, well, that's the business I'm in. And if these guys can help, uh, why not? They didn't feel they were doing anything illegal, and they weren't. Uh, no one was charged with any crime, uh, but this is the way the system runs. And I think it's the system 
that is at best dubious and at worst corrupt. It promotes this sort of shenanigans. It set the stage for a con man like Garrison Courtney, and this was his genius, uh, to manipulate the people who wanted to be manipulated because they felt they were trying to manipulate the system. And the system, yeah. each year, October 21st, the new fiscal year begins. The black budget for the new fiscal year, $85 billion. It'll happen again October, uh, the year after that. That's a lot of money each year for the plucking. Yeah, more cream, man. More cream for Raytheon. More cream for yeah. Lockheed Martin. Let's do and, it. And these, what he went after, Courtney and Keith, they went after companies that below the level of Raytheon and, and, and Lockheed Martin. They went for mid-level to small companies oh, yeah. and tried to form them together and say, together, we can be as powerful as the big companies. And he was getting, you know, give me $10,000 a month and I'll be able to get you in the door. And I, he also, part of his pitch was, he claimed he was a knock, uh, which was a non-official uh, officer. Uh, he was working for the CIA under commercial cover. And because he couldn't reveal what he was doing, these companies would cooperate with him. They would give him the legitimacy he needed to run this CIA operation. They would give him his cover. And by giving him office space and a salary, and he said the CIA would, of course, uh, reimburse him for the $10,000 they were paying him each month. But the CIA had no idea what he was doing, even though there was a CIA representative on the Alpha 214 task force. This man would attend the meetings. He would sit in the back, not say much. He was a very mysterious man. I, I tried to track him down to speak with him. And one of the people involved said, well, I really wouldn't go looking for him. He likes to stay off the grid. And if you, if you find him, he might reach you with a shotgun. So maybe I was fortunate I didn't find him. How did that guy get in this? I just, it's like, does the CIA itself, I mean, I, it, it must have uh, areas where parts of the CIA don't know what other parts of the CIA are doing. I, I would assume like any big corporation and the CIA is a, is a very large business. The business of espionage is a, is a big business. But what is so interesting and what the question you're raising how did the CIA get involved? How did the Justice Department get involved? How were they able to get access into the National Geospatial Agency? And that's all been covered up because just one man, this former weatherman, T TMZ producer, is taking the rap for everything. So one of the, the end of the story says that there is this, uh, this quote that I'm gonna read, it says, there was so much obvious fraud going on, then only one guy is indicted, this admiral added. Uh, we got our fall guy, now everyone else can run for cover. Do you agree that he was the fall guy and that there was a lot of other fraud going on? I think that's a very cogent theory. Uh, the admiral who said that is Admiral Hayes. Admiral Hayes had been one of our chief intelligence officers in NATO, a very distinguished career for over three decades. And he was totally conned by this because, as he said, these guys had access to secure facilities that it would be a crime for me even to share the name of these facilities with Jesus. Me. They're that top secret. He said, how could these two guys accomplish that? 
without help from the higher ups in government. But if he himself said that there was an issue with his, like he, you just kind of said earlier that he may have also been looking for the con as well, right? Like you said, this is a very admirable person, this Admiral Hayes, a very like accomplished uh, military officer, but he was a part of this scheme as well. And he, he said was, that- He was, a, he was a, an unwitting accomplice. He, would, mm -hmm. he was representing a company and he thought this was a way for the company to get business. And it seemed like these guys were representatives of the CIA. And if this is how the CIA wanted to do things, he was okay with it. But he was basically conned. He went along with this like many of the people went because they thought it would be good business. And they were also right. patriots to a certain extent. You have to realize that the <laughs> technology, the program, the Alpha 214, was a way of dealing with communications in crisis that's totally classified. So classified now, that even though the program has been called a fraud, there are people involved who won't tell me or the New York Times what the specifics were because they feel it would be a violation of national security laws. It's so ingrained. Uh, and as I said about Admiral Hayes, a totally honest man who was duped. He was, he was victimized by all this, but they took, they found people who were easy to be conned because they were looking for something. At one, right, point, right. At one point, they come up with a scheme. They've been running this and they've been, contracts have been sent and they have to deliver $1,953,000 to a company called Blue Canopy. And that's what they've hired lawyers and they want to get paid for last year's work that they were doing under this contract. But if they don't come up with this money, the whole scheme, the whole Ponzi scheme is going to fall apart. So they right. approach a group of Beltway investors and they tell them, well, the government's going to take over this company and you give us the one million nine, and within 30 days, we'll make, give you $600,000 profit. That's 30% of their, prop, their money. And it's all guaranteed by the government. And these guys did some due diligence. They looked at contracts that Courtney had forged. He, he printed Defense Department stationery saying the money's going to come to them. Uh, he signed them with a phony name, uh, Glenn Pearson. And oh my God. these guys put up the 1-9, and they waited their 30 days for their $2.5 to come their way back as payment. Didn't come, didn't come. And they realized they had been conned. But they were looking, you know, 30% on your money in uh, 30 days is, is pretty good business. But, you know, a deal like that is sounds too good to be true because it is. And I think that's yeah. why. Yeah, the something that, that really jumped out at me, too, is just, you know, uh, the, the, the blind confidence of it all. You know, like when you meant, like when you were writing about those rooms that sound like are essentially like Faraday rooms where it's just sort of like, yeah, no signals go in or out. And just imagine being, <laughs> I mean, like I, obviously the guy is, is wrong for doing it, but just you, you have to, you have to admire the, the perseverance and just being like, my gosh, this guy like went into this room and like, he just said it and was just like, nope, this is true. This is true. This is like, I, I have a certain admiration for just that, Absolute blind a, confidence. And he got government officials to back him up. And he had people from the DEA, DEA saying, yeah, this is all legitimate. 
on and on and on, a host of government officials, and either he's the most persuasive man in the world, or there's something larger going on. I mean, one theory is, and again, this is just a theory, this started off as a legitimate classified action program, a legitimate CIA program, mm -hmm. and Courtney found a way to manipulate it for his own personal ends. And the government is trying to keep this classified action program still secret, its origins, its roots, the base. And to do this, they're just pursuing one man. After five years, this is all they got. See, okay, that that makes yeah. I I like that better. That makes more sense because because uh, it's just damage control at that point, you know. And uh, it'll be interesting to see when Courtney gets sentenced on October twenty third. Uh, he could get twenty years if he gets time served or a slap on the wrist fine. Uh, you might then have good reason to to believe uh, that the fix was in from the beginning. Or maybe uh, Virgil Keith is actually the mastermind behind this, and all the different investigators from all the different agencies are part of Virgil Keith's double secret operation, and he is part of a, an even more covert operation trying to take down Courtney, who is actually an Iranian spy. And this is <laughs> that's very better. <laughs> Virgil Keith contention now is put 20 years in the military, worked on intelligent matters, retired as a captain. Uh, he was approached by people he knew to work with Garrison Courtney from his uh, Keith's previous intelligence work. He was the Garrison Courtney's security officer, sort of be the brawn uh, to negotiate with all the different security officers at the different companies. And he feels he was totally conned by Garrison Courtney. His reputation was ruined. He got paid a great deal of money. Now he owes taxes on it. And he blames Courtney. And the government must feel that way too, because they have certainly uh, not indicted or charged Virgil Keith with any crime. They must feel that he was a uh, unwitting victim too. There seems to be a, a lot of uh, props for this theatrical production. Business cards, document letterheads, you know, even he has the dense government legalese on these forged documents down to a T. How does he do this stuff? I mean, it's, it's, like, it's like, catch me if you can. Yeah, very much so. I mean, you, you take a letterhead, it's all Xerox. Uh, it's, you know, I think any high school student could create uh, these letterheads uh, at a Kinko's. Uh, yeah. But he also adds to the drama. He created a backstory for himself, uh, a legend, if you will, as they say in the spy trade, that he, spy trade that he'd served in the Iraq War, uh, that he'd been gassed during the I Iraq War, uh, that he had hundreds, he said, of kills that uh, he was responsible <laughs> for. He, he went into the hospital for a minor operation. And he said those were enemy agents who uh, tried to poison him with ricin. Uh, he created this aura, and he sort of walked the walk. He looked the part of a former Navy SEAL. He was a big, burly sort of guy. that he could pull this off. And Virgil Keith uh, also was a real live uh, government intelligence officer for 20 years of his career in the 
in the army, and he added to this image. And so the two of them together, the two twins, uh, seem to have all the jargon of working in the intelligence world. And they, as you said, manufactured contracts. They, they went the whole nine yards. And, and couldn't anyone have just Googled Garrison Courtney and found his TMZ <laughs> well, career? They, yes, I don't think that bothered them so much. They knew him, he worked, I think, nine years at the DEA as a spokesperson. According to people, uh, they did due diligence on him. He was able to get into government facilities uh, and get a green pass. That means you're cleared for the world. There's someone in charge of government classifications uh, who cleared these guys, uh, who let them go wherever they want. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, how much of this do you think is just the, the failing of the bureaucracy in, in that case? Because you have to figure, you know, there's all these processes in place being like, oh, this validates this person and this confirms this. But I mean, like, I mean, I, I relate to all of the people who maybe even signed off on this because it's just like you just get one person signing off on one thing and it's just sort of like oh yeah i just gotta sign this it's, just, you know, just, it's like daily it's the deluge of daily like confirmation essentially right each person sort of was another link on the chain and they all confirmed one another and the chain then rattled very impressively if you had one admiral then you had a general uh if they're all falling for it well they also point to the other one is there com the confirmation that they needed and yet, somewhere at the beginning, before the first link was tied onto the chain, mm -hmm. there was someone very high up in the government who must have signed off on what uh, Courtney and Keith are doing. There are secrets buried in this, and this was allowed to go on for so many years. And, and again, I come back to the refrain of this one person being in, in, indicted uh, and pleading guilty. It, it seems in, incredible. Uh, that you can get access to government facilities like that, that you can fool so many people whose whole job is intelligence work. Uh, intelligence implies you're supposed to be in the know, smarter than us on the outside, and yet you got conned by a former a weatherman, TMZ. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, how did you find this story, and was there, and can you describe your journalistic, any journalistic difficulties you had with reporting on these national security issues? Well, it was a tremendously difficult story to research and to write. And I give the Times a great deal of credit for giving me the time and the space to write it. I wrote a lot of words. It took me several months. Uh, I had seen a small item in the Times when Courtney uh, was first pled guilty. Uh, to this, and it seemed incredible. A uh, five-year investigation involving a dozen investigative agencies posing as the CIA, and I asked all the questions you did. How did he get access? So I tried to get people to speak, and no one wanted to speak because no one comes out <laughs> here. Uh, and, and you go deeper and deeper into the puzzle, and you get people higher up, and everyone's running to give excuses, so, and everyone has a lawyer. Uh, and you want to tell the story accurately. So I, I did the best I could in, you know, 7,500 words or so, and uh, I came out with the story that appeared in the Times. And why did they make it, put it in the opinion section? Well, I, I'm no, I worked at the Times for over a decade, 
uh, that was way back, probably before you were born, a million years ago. Hmm. And, and, and now uh, I'm basically, I write books, I'm an author, uh, and the opinions section uh, is now doing these longer uh, takeouts. So uh, we decided to run it there, so the match was there. Gotcha. And so, very good place to be. The editors there were just terrific. It was fun to work with them. Oh, great. And so, how you mentioned that you know the you know foreign uh, you know security threats that this might cause. Can you talk a little bit more about how replicable this Ponzi scheme? Because it really does seem like a Ponzi scheme, right? Uh, how how this. Know how how replicable this sort of fraud might be in the future and what sort of national security risk it might pose. Could this happen again? And the, the simple answer is yes, because I don't think we still understand how it happened in the first place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the government allowed it to happen. And as I said, there's $85 billion in the black budget coming up uh, that begins on October 21st and to say what the programs are in the black budget, well, that's a crime. <laughs> it's a federal crime uh, to reveal it. So that, in that sort of darkness, lots of schemes can grow. Lots of people can get away with murder. Even, even in legitimate projects, suppose there was some you know, small $150 million project, which is nothing in an $85 billion budget that's meant to help the government. We have no idea how effective that project is, uh, if people are delivering. All we just know is $150 is going out to them uh, and how that affects the taxpayers. I mean, you know, the president's $750 might have just gone to one of these black budget projects. Yeah, there seems to be some very, very basic accounting <laughs> issues that are going on. I, and I think it does speak to sort of a larger systematic thing. like. I can't recall the exact timeline of uh, when people said this, but there was, there's been lots of articles how uh, people will say that like the Pentagon, for example, has essentially never been meaningfully audited, which is like a really insane thing to be like, wait, what? Well, <laughs> the government accounting office keeps on auditing the, the Pentagon, the defense department, and they keep on finding problems. Uh, yeah. So the audits are done and, and some things are corrected, but some, not. And again, something like 53% of all these black budget contracts are sole source contracts. What that means, there's no competitive bidding. Just in the interest of national security, the powers that be decide to award it without any two people bidding against each other to one of the companies involved. And that might be good for the nation. It might be a total sham. We don't know. <laughs> it's kept secret from us. Yeah, that, that in dealing is so, I mean, like, I, I personally happen to believe that, it, you know, uh, a lot of that is, is sort of unjustified. You know, like, I, I'd rather not have these, these giant contracts happening in the first place. But if you want right. to believe in that system, you, you want to have the, at least some sort of competition. And maybe there's a person out there who makes a way better Faraday box that's cool with, like, fun yeah. little projections on the side of it as well. You know, just all these things. Yeah, no, if there's only one podcast, we'd be ruined. I mean, we need to... Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it does raise an interesting point, whereas if you are against the military-industrial complex and you are also against corruption, 
but then you see corruption wasting money that would be going to the military industrial complex you're kind of rooting for the corruption <laughs> yeah yeah well, i mean you can also be for the military uh, industrial complex you can be as a patriot you want the nation to be secure you want it to be defended you just don't sure, want yeah. it to be ripped off <laughs> and, yeah. and the way the system functions today it's very fertile ground for fraud yeah i mean this is this is the swamp like when I think about what that what that uh, connotates is like these people who are uh, supposed to be public servants then go into the private sector and sort of incompetently spend the money. You're and exactly right. I mean, you know, this is a swamp that, that Trump was talking about draining and it's still a bedded <laughs> place where money is being made uh, by this revolving door between government and private industry. What concerns do you have about Trump's $400 million debts that he has and how much of it is going to uh, maybe going to the military industrial complex after he uh, leaves office? Well, you know, $400 million is a lot of money uh, and he's going to have to cover it somehow. And I think he'll do whatever he can. You know, Saudi Arabia, if you're Russia, uh, you're France, whatever and you see a way of getting leverage on the president of the United States, the most powerful man in the world that can help your country. And you can arrange through a carefully laundered way to funnel money into his, his accounts to a man who's still in business, who's still selling properties, running golf courses. If you can say, well, we'll buy this golf course that's losing $50 million a year for 400 million. Uh, and in return, you'll just have to treat us the way you treat Putin. Uh, we'll work with you. Uh, that's very scary. Uh, the possibilities uh, for national security concerns should, I think, frighten every American, every American voter. What are you trying? What are you trying to tell me that they're they're going to bamboozle Mr. Deals? Nah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that's all the questions that I have. Uh, is, do you guys have any other uh, last thoughts? Um, I. Uh, my, 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 my parting thought would just be how much um, I, it, it feels just like um, an upgraded version of just the life that a lot of us already live. Like personally, I'm, I'm a bike messenger. So like uh, in New York City, so I enter a lot of secure buildings. And many times when I'm in these buildings, it really is just a degree of confidence and just being like, looking the part acting the parts be like, yeah, I'm supposed to be here. And then people, security, it only takes one link to just be like, oh yeah, you're here. And many times I'll often find myself in like One World Trade Center or like something like that, where I'm just sort of like, huh, look at that. I'm in this really secure place just because <laughs> I, I kind of just told people I was supposed to be here. And that really reminds me of this, you know? Have you, have you considered a career at TMZ? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, uh, my, my final thoughts are, uh, I mean, this just validated a lot of the principles I like to live by. One is fake it till you make it. Mm -hmm. uh, two is surround yourself <laughs> with people who are accredited so that you appear accredited. Steal uh -huh. valor whenever possible. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the, the real grift is finding a way into uh, defense contracts. There you go. That's, that, those are the principles that your grandfather told you. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, that's, a, that, that's a good note to end on. Howard, thank you so much for, for coming on thank and talking you. about this. Uh, really great journalism, really uh, wonderful piece. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Take care. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.